So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Talia Filippelli. Talia, welcome to today's show. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming along and talking to us in what's a very important month because it's Mental Health Awareness Month. But I thought to begin with, can you just set the scene for our listeners and just say a little bit about your background and your career to date? Absolutely. So I'm an LCSW. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, in the States, it's a licensed clinical social worker. Um, And I started out early in my career in nonprofit and inpatient psychiatry. Um, I was on some psychiatric units for children and adults. And so I kind of evolved out of that and started private practice a little over 10 years ago. And now we're located in Hoboken, New Jersey. We work with children, teens, families, couples on all kinds of challenges, behavioral stuff, anxiety, relationship issues, parenting and co-parenting. And one of the coolest things I'm doing now is I became an ambassador for the Genius of Play. Um, And so for your listeners who don't know what that is, the Genius of Play is a nonprofit initiative with the mission to help parents raise happy and healthy kids through the power of play. Um, Their website offers tons of play ideas, expert tips, and free resources for families. So it's something I'm really excited to be a part of. Yeah, we'll we'll come on to um, the importance of play a little bit later on in our conversation. Um, You mentioned there about, you know, happy children, teenagers, young people. Um, I mentioned as well that it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So how important is it for parents or caregivers to be able to have conversations with children about the things that may be worrying them? Yeah, I think it's critical. You know, it's absolutely critical. What I what I notice about a lot of the parents and caregivers that I work with is that they feel a lot of pressure to sort of extract information from their children about how they're feeling. So many parents, great parents, right? Just, they don't wanna miss anything. And so, you know, we try and help coach parents look at connecting with their children and look at mental health, not just through the lens of conversation, but play, right? How do we help children sort of unpack their emotional backpack at the end of every day, not just through talking, but through play. And some children are not that generous. In, in their sharing of how their day was and their emotions. And so play can be a really fun alternative to help parents connect with their kids, help them, you know, relieve themselves of any stressors that might be plaguing them. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a great emotional outlet in addition to conversation. Is there a gender issue in terms of being able to talk about what's happened and therefore play maybe with um, boys being something that they can connect more easily with their, their parents? So when it comes to gender and parenting, what we know is that mothers and fathers interact and bond with their children in different ways, where uh, fathers tend to engage in more physical play, more roughhousing type of play, more unstructured. They very quickly are able to move on to a different activity if the child doesn't seem to be very interested, and it's all very fluid. Moms tend to engage in in a different kind of play, different style of play. They're more like a teacher, right? It's more they want to sit down, be face to face and connect with their child in a slightly different way. So from the parenting point of view, we do. There is research that supports that moms and dads engage and bond and parent 
differently. Um, as far as how children receive it or how generous girls versus boys are in sharing their feelings, that I have not noticed a big difference. Um, and sometimes uh, culture influences that, sometimes family influences that, personality can influence how open a child is, um, how safe they feel to, to share their feelings. So I think there's a lot of factors that, that are at play there. And what about teenagers? Because I'm sure some of our listeners will be um, thinking play is more associated with um, younger children. What, what about when they get a little bit older? Are there any ways that you can engage in play with them or conversations with them to get them to open up about how they're feeling? Absolutely. Absolutely. And teens, I have to tell you, teens are some of my favorite, favorite people to work with. They are unbelievably insightful. They are more in touch with their emotions than I think the adults around them give them credit for. And sometimes it's really just about finding what is the common ground that I can connect with my teenager on. And then the floodgates open and we see teens be really generous in expressing their emotions and what they go through. Um, typically, I think you're right, right? Play might be considered something more for toddlers to connect with their parents on. For older kids and teens, I, I really encourage parents not to sit down that at the kitchen table for that face-to-face conversation. It can feel very intimidating, um, vulnerable, and we see teens close up. So what we encourage them to do is, you know, engage with them where both people are looking in the same direction, but not at each other. So that could look like a walk, a bike ride. Um, we could be a, a drive in the car, anything where you're not actually looking at each other, but you're talking and both looking in the same direction tends to feel less threatening to teens. And so they tend to open up a little bit more. Um, and I, I usually encourage parents, you know, take into account your child's personality. If your child loves bubble tea and it's a nice day, maybe take a walk to get some bubble tea and use that as an opportunity to engage with your child. In terms of this work that you're doing at the moment, um, would it be fair to say that there's been an increase in emotional distress in, say, the last three years? I'm thinking, obviously, of COVID, but maybe even before that, because there are so many things in the media at the moment that may be worrying uh, young people. But what's, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. The the APA declared, uh, that's the American Psychological Association, they declared a mental health emergency. We are in a crisis and, and the trends that we're seeing don't look good for our young kiddos and our teenagers. So we are in a crisis. I don't look at it as um, an opportunity to panic. I think that the pathway forward is actually clear we can do something about this crisis to reverse the trends that they're seeing. And that's why I think the release of the, of the emotional wellness playbook that we're going to talk about today is really such a timely resource. Um, you know, we're, our goal is to help teach parents how to coach their children on looking at the challenges they go through, through the lens of how can I overcome this? How can I garner confidence and strength as a result of going through this challenging experience so they can develop that resiliency, which is like, I got this, I can do this kind of mindset. What are their main concerns, would you say? Yeah, so for children, it's a it can be a variety of things. Um, sometimes it's really just about expressing their emotions in healthy ways. 
uh, we see some children get really overwhelmed by big emotions. And that's normal, right? We're not born with the ability to navigate these emotions. It's a skill set that we pick up along our lifetime based on the experiences we are we are faced with. And so, you know, the number one reported symptom by children is anxiety. So we do see a lot of worrying. And so we normalize that to help kids recognize that their feelings are never wrong, but there are some healthy ways that we can cope with those feelings. And there's some unhealthy ways that we can cope with those feelings. And so we sort of teach them the boundaries and, and how to practice the healthy ways so that their parents can support them and they can engage in really good supportive interactions at home so that children don't have to be sidelined by their big emotions. Just wanted to um, dig down a little bit further, given the fact that you're based in the USA and some of our listeners are also in the USA, but also many of them in in Europe. Um, And I just wondered whether the anxiety that the young people in the US um, are suffering from, I wonder if it's the same um, as the kind of things that young people in Europe are worrying about, obviously COVID, hear about the fear of, of the war in Ukraine. Um, and then there's a real concern here, obviously, about climate change. Are they similar problems in the US? Yeah. Yeah. Everything you're mentioning, Susan, I think is a similar, is something that Americans are faced with and going through. And if we sort of dig underneath the concrete details of, of those sources of worry, what we're really talking about is uncertainty. And you know, the concept of uncertainty is very distressing to human beings, no matter which country you live in or what continent you're on. It, it's really hard for our brains to tolerate uncertainty. And so, you know, what, what our brains will try to do is come up with some concrete solution or we like to feel in control. And so, you know, there's, I think there's a difficulty, right? Because people are trying to predict, okay, well, this will happen. Okay, well, this will happen. And we end up doing, you know, making a lot of assumptions and guessing, and it doesn't necessarily help us reduce the anxiety we're experiencing. Sometimes it can feel even more overwhelming. So, you know, I think uncertainty, especially after the pandemic and during the pandemic, um, that was like the number one thing plaguing people. So let's be positive. Uh, and I wanted to explore with you some of the work that, that obviously you're doing to support parents and children with their well-being and with, with their mental health. And we've already referenced there the emotional wellness playbook. But could you tell our listeners more about that? Because it sounds absolutely fantastic and really fascinating. It is. I sure hope that your listeners check it out. It is um, a brand new resource from the Genius of Play, and it provides parents and caregivers with play-based screen-free activities. Um, And this is for kids ages three and up, and it helps them develop emotional intelligence and how learn how to express their feelings in healthy ways. Um, It's free. It's on the website, thegeniusofplay.org. And, you know, our main goal is to give parents a cheat sheet. We really want to give them the fast pass on what they should be doing with their kids, what's going to help their kids both now and later on in life. Um, And we're trying to make this information really accessible. And the the Genius of Play has done a wonderful job of um, recruiting all kinds of professionals like myself to offer different information that supports parents and caregivers in the parenting process. So I sure hope everybody uh, checks it out. You can print it. You can view it online. It's a wonderful resource. 
And can you give us some indication, maybe an example of um, something from the, the playbook when you talk there about developing um, emotional intelligence? Absolutely. So one of the games that we have on there is called Emoji Bingo. And, you know, the component of emotional intelligence that this focuses on is self-awareness. Now, self-awareness is the ability to label our feelings accurately. And so this is a feelings vocabulary, as I call it, that we help children develop. They don't have that, right, when they're born. They, they don't have the words and the language to know what they're feeling and then be able to express that to somebody who might be able to help them. And so a lot of children are lacking that vocabulary. So Emoji Bingo is a super fun game. It's a little twist on, on traditional classic game of bingo. Um, but the emotional component is that each of these squares on the, on the board is a feelings word. And so we encourage parents to play the game with their kids, have their kids practice saying these words out loud. And what they can do is if they, if the, let's say the feeling sadness comes up or anger or joy, what they can do is say a memory that they, when they remember feeling that way themselves. And so it really helps children connect the dots between the word that labels the feeling and then the experience of that emotion. And over time, what we tend to see as kids expand their emotional vocabulary is they are now able to use their words to say to mom, dad, grandma, or a teacher, I'm feeling really upset right now. And if they don't have that emotional language, what we will see is we'll see a child default to their behavior in order to showcase to a parent or caregiver what they're feeling. And so we'll see tantrums and feelings of overwhelm and emotional dysregulation, and that's not productive for children either. So when they can actually expand that vocabulary, they can really rely on their words to express themselves rather than their actions. Brilliant. Have you got any other examples for us? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let me think. We have a stuffed animal birthday party. Now, the stuffed animal birthday party is so cute and so fun. Um, and what that does is it allows children to engage in some pretend play. And so they can take any stuffed animals that they might have at home. You don't need any extra supplies for this. And we have children orchestrate a birthday party for their stuffed animals. And the cool part of the, you know, the emotional intelligence piece to this is that children are able to develop empathy. They're able to um, practice their social skills. They're able to engage in um, motivation and goal setting because they decide what the characters are doing. They decide who's who. They decide what's going to happen during this birthday party. And then they have their animals sort of participate in this really fun experience. And we, this is not a solo activity. We encourage parents and caregivers to get on the floor, get involved, engage with your child around this pretend birthday party. Um, and we know that imaginary play promotes empathy. It allows children to see the world from another perspective other than their own. And so that's what that play allows them to do. It's a little practice run at empathy when they do the, um, the stuffed animal birthday party. Do you know, that sounds wonderful. Um, the problem I'd have with uh, my dog would be joining in as well, I think. <laughs> that's great. You want to hear something funny. We did a, I, myself and my colleague did a presentation at a school last month and a lot of the kids, and these were um, fourth and fifth graders, when we asked them, 
who do you talk to about your feelings the most, you'd be shocked how many of them said they talked to their pet. It doesn't shock me at all. I'm a great pet lover. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you already get it. Some people are like, whoa, that's wild. But really, they feel so connected and safe with their pet. They can be vulnerable and they can express their true feelings to their pets. And it's wonderful. Now, I'm going to come on to something else. Um, you talked there about play, about all the the, the, the the benefits of it. I'm going to ask you now about screen time, because that's such a big issue, isn't it? The way in which young people love to be on their screens and how much time they actually spend on their screens. So do you have any views in, uh, on, on how, how parents can try to limit this attachment that children have to screen time? Sure, absolutely. And I think like most things in life, balance is key. And so screen limits, screen time limits, I think need to take into account the uniqueness of the child and family dynamics. And I don't think that screens are evil by any stretch, um, but there is a healthy balance. Um, and one of the things I think parents might not engage in as frequently when they're setting screen time limits is they don't always incorporate their child's ideas and thoughts in terms of what amount of screen time is healthy or unhealthy. And I find when I do open that discussion up with young people, they have a lot of insight about screen time themselves. And when we welcome that, them into that conversation, the outcome of it can be a really beautiful agreement, one that the child took part in creating. And when they have a say and they get to take part in the creation of the agreement or the balance, we tend to see children accept those limits more readily. So I really encourage parents to welcome their kids into that conversation. It's not something that the parents need to just come up with and then you know, push it on their child, but make it a family discussion. Um, and actually I have a fun activity that I teach parents sometimes because so much of communication is nonverbal. So I encourage parents and kids to watch a TV show on mute so that you can't hear any sounds and to have everybody guess what's happening in the scene and what the actors might be feeling. Um, it's sort of a twist on screen time, not necessarily a limit, but a fun way to um, engage with the screen and learn some emotional intelligence skills as well. I've got one more question, though, on this. Um, I'm going to use your expertise what if you, you're in conflict as a parent with um, one of your children who just you can't get them to come off their Xbox or you can't get them to come off um, the screen um, and it's developing into a confrontation? How, how would you um, give them some advice on managing that? So if it's becoming a confrontation between children and parents, it's, it's really an indicator right? That's an indicator that the child might be falling more into that obsessive kind of addicted relationship to the screen, uh, TV or gaming or whatever. And so there's, there's no like quick fix for that. It's really a gradual turning down the volume, I'd say. And so what we try and encourage parents to do is just reduce the amount of screen time that the child gets little by little, not necessarily feel like you have to eliminate it completely. When we do that, it's pretty abrupt. Most children will not respond very well to that. And so we try and encourage parents to walk it back and just wind the volume down little by little. And then, like I said earlier, really engage the child in, in that decision-making about how much screen time really works well for us and how much doesn't. 
And like I said, you'd be shocked at how reflective and insightful children are. They don't necessarily feel good having that tantrum and big argument with mom or dad either. And so, you know, if we can, when they're calm and ready for a conversation like that, we can really help them identify for themselves some of the problematic aspects of their own screen time. And that's just such an opportunity for maturing and emotional intelligence and great conversations between parents and children. So I, I really, really emphasize the collaborative aspect. Believe it or not, we've almost come to the end of our conversation. Can you believe it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I just want to ask this, um, this final question. I've got this quote that you you wrote um, quite recently, and it's let 2023 be the year you became your own best friend. So I just wondered what tips and advice you have for us in order to work towards that goal, either as parents or just more generally in our everyday lives. So I think that one of the ways that we can become our own best friend is to connect with our own inner child. And really play is the way that we do that. And there are toy companies that are gearing products towards adults. We're seeing a trend where adults of all ages are pursuing playful hobbies. They're buying toys geared towards adults as self-care, right? We know it's not just good for kids. I mean, kids in general, there's tons of benefits for them to be playing. And I think that this is a win-win opportunity. Kidults, that's, I don't know if you've heard that term before, but kidult is definitely a term that's floating around right now. Um, and I think the way we can become our own best friend is to really reconnect with ourselves and play is the perfect place to do that. It's a win for us. It's a win for our kids and the emotional benefits are proven by science. We see it, we know it, it reduces stress, it increases positive emotions, it's great for bonding. Um, and so I would say all the adults out there, keep playing. Talia, thank you ever so much for that lovely way to end our podcast. Um, it's been lovely talking to you today and I'm sure all our listeners are really gonna benefit from dipping into some of those resources that you've talked about as well. So can I say a huge thank you for, for speaking to us? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope your listeners check out our, our wellness playbook and enjoy it and practice these ideas with their kids. Um, it's really an exciting resource and I'm so happy to be to be on your podcast today. Thank you again for your time. Thank you. You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.